This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Hey, everyone. As part of our continuing summer series, we're looking back on some of our previous episodes. Last year, I talked with Jelani Memory about the company he started after his book called A Kid's Book About Racism took off. We discussed his original inspiration to start writing children's books, why he thinks kids are more capable of handling tough issues than we give them credit for, and how he launched an entire publishing company from that one book. In case you missed it, we wanted to share some highlights from that interview with you. So, you know, Jelani, what was your kind of literary approach to writing that book? How did you kind of decide on the style that you wanted it to be? I was really influenced by The Book With No Pictures by B.J. Novak. It's a book that I read again and again to my kids, and they loved it. And I sort of thought, gosh, what if this book had a message? What if this book was really trying to say something? It's fun. It's It's playful. But what if it was actually trying to import some big, grand, amazing, important idea to my kids? Uh, and so that just sort of sat in the back of my head. And when I had a new son on the way, Solomon, who's now three, but at the time, you know, was, was on the way, I wanted him to make sense of what his experience was likely going to be as not just a new baby of color, but eventually a kid of color and then a, an adult of color. And that spawned uh, into me thinking about my kids understanding my experience more, but also their own. And I have a, a wild and crazy family, four stepkids, two biological kids, so six kids total. Um, my four stepkids are white and, and my two biological kids are black. The literary approach was really about how do I explain racism in a way to my kids where I'm being honest, where I'm not pulling any punches. And I'm not trying to downplay it or make it friendly and cuddly so that they can wrap their heads around it. I was sort of want to communicate it in all of its gravity and ugliness. And so the literary approach was, let's keep it really simple. Let's take away all of the artifice. So no illustrations or we're not going to overly design this thing. And I'm going to write from my own experience. I'm not an academic when it comes to race or racism, but I have my own experience that I could speak from. And so that drove a lot of what that book became. I just want to list a few of the books that you have published already. So you have um, a kid's book about racism, white privilege, uh, anti-Asian hate, immigration, climate change, autism, anxiety, death, body image, being non-binary, being transgender. This is a kind of a diverse list of, of topics, yeah. but they're heavy topics for kids. How do you kind of go about engaging them? I mean, are they kind of in story form or are they kind of just kind of plainly telling the facts? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, one, I, I do think they are heavy topics, but I don't know if kids always perceive them in that way, meaning they don't carry all the baggage with them. We grownups we bring in a lot of stuff into these conversations where kids bring curiosity, they bring questions, and they bring their own ideas and experiences. In terms of the way that we try and communicate to kids, first is everything is personal with our books. We anchor it in the personal identity of the author. It's always from their perspective. It's always from their first person. And I think that allows kids to both see themselves in the work 
and the ideas and the stories, as well as not be too tied to it. Often what happens is when kids read or read to with one of our books, they think about their own lives, their own experiences. They're not locked into the the dragon that can fly and is trapped in some, right? They're just not locked into the story in that way. They're actually thinking more expansively about their own life as they interact with it. And then lastly, we just give it to them straight. We just, just don't lie to them. That's the one thing that grownups get wrong when it comes to these tough topics is they lie. They skirt the truth. They make up stuff. They use euphemisms. Hmm. And kids, they're not having any of that. And look, we do that as adults because we don't think kids can handle it. But the truth is, we're the ones that get uncomfortable, afraid, scared, don't know what to say. Kids are, they're totally able to converse and talk about. They just don't have all the language to be able to do it. So part of what our books do is give them the language. How do some of the books kind of align with the education that that the kids are already getting? So for example, if a five-year-old or a seven-year-old is reading you know, a kid's book about sexual abuse, for example. I mean, some of them probably haven't learned about sex yet or, or you know, are learning about sex or maybe I'm being naive. But, um, <laughs> you know, uh, how do you raise a topic that they might not have encountered yet in their education? All of our books are designed to be conversation starters, not conversation enders. Um, so they're the introduction into something, whether that's a topic as heavy as, as sexual abuse or something as fun as creativity or adventure. The idea is that we're teaching them the words and the language and the context around the subject. There will be ideas in there that they've never heard. And we're also accounting for, there'll be other things that maybe they should have learned that they might not have. So we might need to teach them inside of this book. And that is a difficult challenge. You don't want to boil the ocean with every book and try and include every idea, but you have to anchor somewhere. And what's beautiful is anchoring in the personal story is really wonderful. And hopefully as a conversation starter, kids have all sorts of questions at the end, right? And they're talking with the grown-up. We like the say internally at our company that we're not really selling books. We're selling the conversation that comes afterwards, that thing that every adult wants with their kid, which is just to talk to them, for them to share how they feel, where they're at, their experiences, you know, in terms of where they're at in their education, every family, every home, every school is different. And in a lot of ways, these topics get shied away from, not because they're not important to address at those ages, is nobody can come to a consensus on who should do it, how they should do it, and what's the right way to do it, right? And so what ends up happening is this stuff gets kicked down the road and not just kicked down the road into middle school or high school, like college, you know? I'm sure you could find plenty of adults that didn't start to grapple with the idea of racism until they were in undergrad or graduate school, right? Or maybe in the workplace. That's the wrong time to start those conversations as, as a human being. Forget about it, being a kid, just as a human being. Right. So we're focused on starting those conversations early and as early as possible. So for sexual abuse, by the time a kid is four, five, and six, it is likely that they can have had an experience with sexual abuse directly. They might not have language to talk about that or to conceptualize it or to make sense of it, but it's not like a rare thing that happens every once in a while by the bad people. It's actually a very frequent and common thing. And to give kids language early, to understand it, to discuss it, to share they've had an experience is really important. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon. 
the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Could you talk a little bit about, you know, your your kind of past life, right? You left your previous company, Circle Media, that, that you also founded, to start a kid's company about. Was that a challenging move? And why did you think that you really had to do it? First, it wasn't challenging at all. In some ways, it should have been. I'm really thankful that it wasn't. It was so easy because I knew the gap that I was going to try and fill with these books and ultimately the media that we would make as a company by having seen how people responded, especially my own kids, my five kids at the time, and then eventually my sixth, how they've responded to my own book, a kid's book about racism. And so it was it was really about legacy. What legacy am I going to leave behind? And while I love the thing that we built at Circle, that was fine. I was going to grow and keep going. But these books, they weren't going to exist. They just weren't. And I wasn't worried about competition. Oh, somebody's going to get there first. It was, oh no, these stories may never get told. I have to go tell them and I have to go tell them now. And so I left not only the company that I started, but the highest paying job I'd ever had and a bunch of equity on the table to to hopefully go do a thing that was going to make a difference. I didn't know whether the money was going to work out. I didn't know whether I was going to get investors. I didn't know if any of it was going to happen, but I had to. It wasn't even a question of should I or shouldn't I. It was I have to. And in that way, it was a really easy decision. And what kind of demographic is buying your books and reading your books? You know, are you, in a way, are you kind of preaching to the choir? Are you kind of selling books to people (laughs) that are already open to hearing about these things? You know, how do you get the message to people who are not uh, willing to buy books and perhaps not willing to learn about these things and really who who need that education in in, in the first place? Yeah, you know, I, I fought long and hard about this and and even when we started the company, I, I really hoped that we'd be able to sort of reach on both sides of the aisle, right? Reach into the, not just the coast, but the middle of America mm-hmm. um, to do a cross-section of, of ideologies and beliefs and socioeconomic status, race, gender, you name it. And, you know, my hope is that we've done that and done that because of who we've brought to the table, right? Is we have activists writing our books. We have young non-binary kids writing our books. We have pastors writing some of our books. We have mental health professionals writing some of our books. And then we just got moms and dads and people writing our books who have, who've never, who'd never be asked to write a book, but creating those with us. And I think what's amazing is when you anchor into the personal, it turns out things like, you know, having an anxiety disorder doesn't really sort of cut itself as Democratic or Republican, right? I think our books are reaching into a lot of places and spaces that they otherwise wouldn't because of the vast nature of the topics. Now, when you get specific, a book like a kid's book about racism or a kid's book about systemic racism or a kid's book about white privilege, now you start to see potentially a specific demographic. And what we've saw from a sales, like a pure sales data perspective is that the moment that George Floyd was murdered and that video was released of him, we saw a whole group of people who never concerned themselves with race or racism or culture or color, who just sort of said, that's old news, we're post-racial, Obama was president, can't we just move on? They watched that video and all of a sudden the conversation just flipped for them. And it did two things. One, they were like, oh, this is real. And then two, how do I talk to my kids about this? 
and literally the chart of our sales. And these aren't Black parents. These aren't coastal parents. These are middle America white parents who are going, oh my God, racism is real. And I got to talk to my kid. And so the chart just goes straight up. Hmm. Literally, we doubled and then doubled and then doubled and then doubled the next day, just literally compounding itself because folks were scrambling with a way to start that discussion. And we've seen that happen again and again with different kinds of books that we have in our collection, with different moments that happen in our country where there's a need to start that conversation. And maybe a need to start it at the most fundamental level, yeah, right? At the starting place, not the graduate level degree, the stamped from the beginning sort of, you know, level. It's the, I don't know anything about racism. Where do I start? And especially how do I explain it to my kids? Jelani, I just wanted to um, get to something that, that I saw that you'd written online. Uh, you said that in your books, there are no dragons, uh, silly bears, or cute tales about princesses. What would you say to someone who says, well, that is, that's what being a kid is about, right? It's, kids grow up too fast anyway. It's, it's about innocence, and uh, they're going to hit these grim realities sooner or later. So why not kind of preserve that innocence for a little while? Mm, I hear that a lot, by the way. I get that a lot. Hmm. Let kids be kids is what I hear. And my retort is, remember what it's like to be seven-year-old you, eight-year-old you, nine-year-old you. What was it like? It wasn't dragons and princesses and cuddly bears. It was mom and dad are fighting and I would like them to stop, right? Grandpa died last week and nobody's talked to me about it. It's I'm getting picked on at school, but I know if I say something, I'll get picked on more right? It's, I got called the N-word. I could keep going. Right. These are normal, everyday experiences for every seven-year-old, every eight-year-old. And we lie to ourselves when we say it's not happening. We like to pretend that our kids aren't going through it. And yet when we go back to that point in our life, we were begging for adults to take us seriously, to listen to us, to hear us, for someone to share something that really mattered from inside of us. Yes, we want to protect kids' innocence. Yes, we want to provide them the security and comfort they need. But pretending like it's not happening, that's creating more discomfort, more fear than anything. And hey, look, last but not least, there's plenty of tales about dragons and cuddly bears and princesses to go around. They exist. Everyone's making them. Who's telling the other stories for kids? Well, Jelani, um, lots to think about here. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to tell us all about it. Yeah, my pleasure. This is really wonderful. 